Hey, John. How are you? Hey, Dan, Bam, and Shan, Lamb. <laughs> How's everything up there? Oh, it's so, so, so good up here. There is not literally not a cloud in the sky today. Oh, wow. Not a single cloud. Is it true that Seattle gets more rain than any other city in the continental United States? Is that true? No, it is false. Okay. Demonstrably false. Mm. Which one gets more? More rain? Yeah. There are lots of cities that get more rain. What Seattle has is uh, it has a lot of cloudy days. Um, When it does rain here, it's just a misty rain. Mm. But like Hawaii, all of Hawaii has more rain than Washington. Um, I think that like normal places like New York and um, like the Midwest get more rain because when it rains in those places, it goes bananas. Yeah. Um, Louisiana and Mississippi, those places are full of rain. So I'm looking so here much rain. It says uh, that the 10 towns that get the most rain, Portland is number one, Portland, Oregon, 43, por- 43 inches. Come on. Number two is Seattle, 38 inches. That's where are you reading this? No, you know what? No, they they have them out of order. Look at that. They're trying to mess me up. It's like they want us to fail. Tallahassee, Florida gets 61 <laughs> inches. Ah, <laughs> see, see. Yeah. Why would Not they us. put them in order? Well, they're trying to screw you oh, up. Portland's like, number Port, you know, 10. Yeah. You look at it real fast and you're like Portland and Seattle, rainiest places. Look at this. Number was- one. Number one is Mobile, Alabama. 67 inches <laughs> per Mobile. per year. 59 is the average of rainy days per year. Pensacola, Florida, Nolens. Yep. They're yep. all up there in the top. You know, you've been down to those places. There's like kudzu climbing and moss dripping. Yeah. Those are like wet ass places. Although in Washington, wet, out wet ass Washington places, they're wet ass places. If you live there, your ass is wet all the time. That's right. <laughs> if you live uh, out on the western coast of Washington in the Olympic National Forest, yeah. there is the only rainforest in the continental United States. It is. It gets enough precipitation that it somehow meets the requirements of a rainforest. That's amazing. But, I had, did not know that. Yeah, but Seattle is protected from that crazy rain uh, by those mountains, the Olympic mountains. They catch all the rain that comes off the Pacific, and it all falls on the western side. Not all of it, but a lot of it. You know, growing up in South Florida and then going to college in Central Florida, you could pretty much count on it raining every day of the summer and it, it rained almost like clockwork right at about 4.30 p.m. every single afternoon in the summer. It would rain for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes every day. Yeah. And it was... Tons of rain, though. Yeah. I mean, it would dump, dump down rain. And I remember hearing about people talking about how, I think it was Phoenix, a friend of mine lived in Phoenix, and they got something like 
six inches of rain and there was the whole town flooded and there, everything was shut down. And I'm like six, we got six inches every day this week. And it just, yeah. I guess, I guess, you know, the, the, and the way that it rains here in Texas, we get big rains and big thunderstorms and things like that out here, of course. But it, it seems because Florida is just sand, you know, like the ground is sand. If you dig down a few feet, there's water filling it up the hole and it's just sand. And though I guess the rain comes down and it just, goes into the ground and goes away but here it'll like pool and you get you get real puddles and you get flooding and all other kinds of nonsense that's right because if you dig down in texas it's just a rock six inches well yeah you find steel yeah <laughs> that's, that's steel right. and bones. If you ever want steel yeah you just dig down a couple feet and there's there's steel right there yep yep stainless steel they're building a parking garage adjacent to the building where i have my little office in and uh they have been bringing out the heavy artillery to to dig down. I mean, it is, it is, you know, I always assumed that people would have basements here, but there are no basements here because really you do dig down like about a foot and it becomes, it's just one giant rock under there. Well, that's what's extraordinary about uh, Austin is that all the buildings are made out of that self-same rock. Right, right. So you drive around and it's like the rocks and then the buildings, they're all the same color. They're all the same <laughs> composition. Yeah, it's easy to get that rock. <laughs> you know, those walls around the university of Texas that are made out of sandstone and the stone yeah. is full of fossils. Yeah. It's pretty That's cool. Phenomenal yeah. to walk through there and just see like, just see so many fossils and it's, so it's just like, yeah, we got we got this by the metric ton. <laughs> we build walls out of it. That's right. We don't know what to do with it. Because Texas used to be underwater, under a giant inland sea that stretched all the way up to Montana. And uh, for millennia, it was just a swampy morass yeah. full of swamp monsters and, and uh, whales, land whales. It was... Um, or intertidal whales that would come up sometimes and eat <laughs> land seaweed. Land sure, weed. It yeah, was- land weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my friends, uh, she was just telling me that um, her parents, they have some some land out in South Austin. They had to use dynamite to <laughs> help. And, and I, I didn't believe her. I said, really? And she says, this is t- totally true. They had to use dynamite to make the, uh, their, you know, the, the hole for their swimming pool to go deep enough into the ground. Wow. Yeah. And you can see there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of roads up in like Northwest Austin near the Pennybacker bridge, like 360, where you can drive through there. And in order to put the roads sort of through the small stone mountains, uh, I don't think they're mountains, but whatever they are, hills, you know, Mm -hmm. you had, they had to sort of, you know, to get through it, you can still see how they dynamited to blast it all the way and, and carve a hole for the roads to go through. It's really, really cool. Hill country, Austin's hill country is really underrated. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't look like any other part of Texas. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. The Pennybacher bridge is named after, of course, Doc Pennybacher, mm-hmm. who was responsible for <laughs> bringing dynamite to Texas. He's the, he's the one that brought dynamite there. That's he why brought they, just an, on his truck. That was pre truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Washington, right, it's uh, the the under the composition of the underground is hard rock, um, but 
because of the rain and because of the natural lushness, uh, since the glacial period, there's been so much leaf drop and tree drop that there's this beautiful, thick, loamy soil on top of the rock. So you can dig and dig and dig and all you have is this lovely dirt. But then, uh, yeah, eventually, let's say, for instance, you want to build a tunnel under the city of Seattle. Right. To reroute a highway, um, to reroute a, ride a route a highway that has been damaged by an earthquake. Let's this is just a hypothetical. Um, and you build the world's largest tunnel boring machine um, to do the job to build this highway, underground highway that will be obsolete in fifteen years and has no downtown exits. Um you would find that that giant boring machine would have a lot of hard work to do and it would can potentially break down a couple of times um, underground in a place where it couldn't be retrieved. But eventually, again, totally hypothetical situation, eventually the giant boring machine would emerge on the other side victorious, having mawed its way through the rock under the city. And now the city, this uh, hypothetical city would be waiting around for this tunnel. You know, every day it doesn't open is one day closer to it being completely obsolete. When we move down into a world of self-driving cars, mm-hmm. we're not going to need under city tunnels. No, no, we won't. Although if you build it, they will come and maybe it will be, maybe the under city, world maybe it'll be the world's biggest skate park you know what i mean (laughs) guys you skate up one side skate down the other it's like five miles long they had an awesome tunnel when i grew up in uh in pennsylvania we lived in in philadelphia and my grandparents lived in uh like wilkesboro which is near scranton and is that how it's pronounced yeah wilkesboro Wilkes-Barre, not Wilkes-Barre. No, not Wilkes-Barre. Okay, Wilkes-Barre. And it's I th- much, it's, it rolls off the tongue, Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, it's much easier to say that. We would like to say thank you to Blue Apron. It's the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They do this by supporting a more sustainable food systems, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. You're going to be a home chef. This is, this is reality. You can go and get one of these amazing meals. They send them to you. They send you these cool recipe cards. And what you make actually turns out just like on the recipe card. I'm speaking from experience here. They sent me some of these. I tried to make them and I was successful and they really turn out great. I didn't know that I could cook like real food. I knew I could boil water. I knew I could put a pizza in the oven. I knew I could make bacon. But kind of ended there. In fact, no, you can cook legit meals. You can spend less than $10 per person and, uh, and, and you get exactly the right amount of ingredients. No more, no less, just what you need to make these great meals. And you can cook together with your family. It brings people together, cook with your friends. You cook for yourself and you're going to probably get two or three meals out of each one of these. And that's what they do. Their goal is to make it less than $10 per 
per person per meal. And most of these meals, again, they're pre-portioned. They send you just the ingredients that you need can be made in 40 minutes or less. So you don't have to worry, what should we have for dinner tonight? Oh, do you go to the grocery store to go pick up the thing? Now, all that's gone now. Now you just get seafood sourced from a sustainably created farms. You get beef, chicken, and pork from responsibly raised animals. You get produce from farms that practice regenerative farming, the best food, the best quality food. And then you take these recipes that they give you and they're yours. Like these cards, you keep them, you file them away. Then you can go and make these recipes anytime you want. Meanwhile, Blue Apron doesn't repeat the recipes that they send you. So if you subscribe to these guys and you're like, I like this, keep it coming. You're not going to get the same recipe all year long. It's pretty awesome. They made a special URL for us, for listeners of this show, blueapron.com slash roadwork. If you go to blueapron.com slash roadwork, you will get your first three meals free with free shipping, which is pretty nice. And these meals are great. Blueapron.com slash roadwork. Support the show and uh, get a great meal in the process. Thanks very much, Blue Apron, for making this show possible. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it was the, something with an L, like Lehigh, Lehigh, Lehigh Tunnel, Mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, But it was, I remember whenever we go to visit my grandparents who lived out there, uh, we'd go through this, through this super cool tunnel. And it was always like the highlight of the trip for me was this, was this tunnel. And it, they used, the one thing I do remember about it was that they used, the dig and blast style to, to drill it. And I think it was like, it was like a squarish instead of being round. Cause they, they blew it up in some way. Anyway. Dig and blast. Time. Yeah. Dig, dig, dig and blast. Dig and blast. The old dig and blast method. You go out there. I'll tell you what, a thing that had like the orange, the orange lights inside of it. Tunnels are weird. They're really weird when they start getting long or they go under the, under the water. Ugh. Creepy out. Yeah. Tunnels are weird. I've been in some long, long, long tunnels. Some of those tunnels from Switzerland to Italy and from, what, Austria to Slovenia, they're long tunnels. Really long. Like Mike Where Miles get, long? Yeah, yeah. You're driving in them and you're like, what the hey? <laughs> There's, a, I think, the longest railroad tunnel in America is also <laughs> in Washington State. And the rumor back when I was hopping freights, right. the rumor among freight hoppers was that if you went through that tunnel on a freight um, without the benefit of ventilation gear that you would have in a passenger car, that you could asphyxiate on the exhaust of the diesel locomotives because the tunnel was so long and so poorly vented. The venting of it, I think, back then was just the tunnel is kind of at an angle. Right. It goes up or down depending on which direction you're traveling. And I think they just counted on the smoke rising, (laughs) rising up (laughs) out one end of the giant tunnel. So I was meticulous in avoiding trains that I thought would go through this long tunnel because I didn't want to asphyxiate. (laughs) Now – that I'm repeating the story for the first time. I haven't thought about this in 25 years, but now that I say it out loud, it seems unlikely 
bordering on preposterous. But uh, but that's what I believed at the time because I heard it from – and you know what? Hobos are generally really reliable sources of information. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I can only imagine. <laughs> you know, they really – they know their shit and <laughs> right. they never lie. No. I mean, whenever never, I want to know something, that's – if I can't – you know, if I, if I can't find Wikipedia, if the internet's down, hobo is my number two. Yeah, open your window and <laughs> and put a pie on the windowsill. Put a pie to cool, right? And um, and then a hobo will come. That's the way you. That's like the bat signal <laughs> for hobos. They come and they make a little chalk mark on your fence that says "There's good pie here," right? And then you say, "Hey, hobo, give me the news." And they uh, and they drop some science on you. They never, ever, ever lie to young hobos mm. no chance no chance of that so i'm i guess i conclude that that is what happens in that tunnel the longest tunnel in america longest rail tunnel in mm -hmm. america i was looking while you were talking i was looking up you know longest running tunnels in the world and a lot of them seem to be uh aqueducts or aqu aqueducts as we would say in the northeast Mm -hmm. And as opposed to things that human beings would go through, it's just taking water in and out. Yeah. And that was disappointing right. to learn that. Well, it's a lot less complicated to build a water tunnel, I think, than a people tunnel. You know, in uh, Seattle, a lot of our, well, originally the water pipes that brought water into the city were these giant pipes made out of logs. Made out of wood. Pipes made of wood. <laughs> it doesn't sound they, it's very... Like well, that would you know, deteriorate pretty quickly, right? I mean, this kind of wood is used to being wet, and it goes down under the... I mean, I think it was probably, what, fur was our number one kind of wood. It's not a hard wood, but I guess it's good for water pipes. So they would, you know, they made these huge water pipes, and then they would go down to small water pipes made of wood and my understanding from talking to the water people here in Seattle is that there are still some wa wood water pipes still in action little by little they replace them but um yeah still 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 using some peak 19th century technology here wood pipes mhm mm i've Just never heard that i've never heard of wood wood, wood pipes <laughs> Wood pipes. No, you wouldn't find it elsewhere. You wouldn't find it in Texas. Um, you'd just use the native steel that's under the ground to make pipes. Certainly, that's not what you're going to use in California either. Right. Where do you find – well, wait a minute. In northern California, you could make redwood pipes, water pipes. But in northern California, they just live off the land as they've always done. They live on marijuana there. <laughs> right. The fat of the land. Yeah, you could make you could make marijuana water pipes. Wait a minute. <laughs> they already have those. They do. <laughs> They're called bongs. Yeah. Uh Dan, I was wondering you post pictures all the time of yourself eating well not you never selfie, but you post pictures of giant plates of brisket. Oh yeah. And and ribs and so forth yes. texas style barbecue you seem to eat it four times a week is if, if uh, that would be a, a, a crappy week but yeah 
Yeah. And my question is this surely. So after months and months of envying you, (laughs) it occurred to me, wait a minute. One of these places has got to ship that stuff. Yeah, they do have places to ship it. I bet they would, I bet you would ship me brisket and it would come still warm. I'd ship you anything. I'll ship you anything you want. Will you find some place that has really good Texas style barbecue and have them just ship me some? Cause I am. What do there's you tell me what here, you want? What do you famished. want? I'll send you whatever you want. There's I want lean brisket and baby back ribs. Okay. You don't want to try beef ribs. You don't want to try spare ribs or St. Louis style ribs. We call them beef ribs are too big. Okay. But you are beef like, ribs you are, are like a, a chewy. A, you're, but you're, well, I don't know about the chewy, but you're kind of caveman. Yep. But, Little delicate, little delicious baby back ribs. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm with you. So, I'm with you. They just, you know, they melt in your mouth. Um, I want my one time many years ago, I was eating barbecued ribs. That I'm talking about long time ago in Alaska, and I've always had one of my teeth. Um, one of my teeth has sustained so much damage over the years. When I was a little kid, I. I slipped in the bathtub, fell, and knocked out my baby tooth Hmm. in the front. So I was the kid that walked around with a missing tooth in the front for a a couple of, for a long time, a couple of years. I was the same way. And then my tooth came in and it was discolored. Right. It was, had a sort of, looked like a little gold nugget. It had a little streak through it. And I was proud of it. I ha- I was happy about my little strangely colored tooth. Right. And then in fifth grade, I was swinging on the swings. And we're talking about old school swings. Mm-hmm. Metal pole, metal chain, no protective material at all. I think the seat was a flat board. <laughs> right. And Not the little rubber, very, not the bendy rubber kind, no, but the, an actual no, flat piece of wood flat flat board and there <laughs> was um there was no like plastic on the chain i mean you could get pinched and hurt a oh, thousand yeah. ways and this swing was very tall which allowed for uh some super scary you could scale super scary heights on this swing you could get up so high that when you fell backwards you were just in free fall for <laughs> three seconds um, and at one point I got going sideways on this swing and was swinging very, very high. And then another thing they hadn't considered was not to make the swing so that you could swing s- just straight into the pole that supports the swing set. And I did swing wow. sideways until I could not control it, swinging too high. And I slammed into the supporting pole. Which seems unlikely. You know, when you look at, I look at swing sets all the time now. But the secret is they don't make them so tall, and so you couldn't. It, it couldn't happen. It would be physically impossible. But then, you know, the chains were twenty feet long or mm. something. So I slam into it and, and I crash my tooth. The same. Oh no! You know, the yellow tooth. And so I'm given a cap made out of whatever early eighties material. They, they made that stuff out of. And then I was eating ribs later on in high school (laughs) and it, and that tooth broke Uh on the ribs, 
Well, that tooth has continued to plague me my entire life. It's been capped which, which and recapped. It? it is the left front tooth. Right. Okay. The famous tooth. Yeah. And then it broke again and again. Finally broke completely off. The, the root came out, the whole kit and caboodle. And I walked around just as I had done at five. At 45, no, it wasn't 45, but at 40, right. I was walking around with no front tooth. Um, so it's been a it's been a plague, but I still, halfway through this this life. So is the tooth, well, wait, wait, is, is the tooth completely missing? Yes. Because I'm looking at a photo of you without the tooth, and it There's looks like. no anything. So how would they cap that? Do they attach it to, like, the, the tooth Next to the other tooth, do they do an implant into the into the jaw? What do they do? And like, what has uh, happened under there? Did it did like the gum close up? And if you get a tooth that it's just a, it's like a like it doesn't go into the gum; it just sits on top of it. Like I'm, I really want to know how this works. When I first was missing the tooth, I went to a dentist, and that dentist prepared for me what she called a flipper. <laughs> a flipper is a tooth that's attached to a superstructure that you wear like a, a bridge, right? You stick the tooth in, and it's got this this architecture that goes on the top of your mouth and clamps on to your right. I'm looking at a picture of this. If for the listeners, for the benefit of the listeners, the picture that I'm seeing is it looks like a, if you've ever seen a retainer, it looks a lot like a retainer, Yep. but it just goes and has just the one tooth at the front of it. Uh, so it looks like an alien. It looks a little bit like an alien. And the one I'm looking at seems to have hooks that would hook onto, I'm guessing, your back molars or something. Yes. Something. Something like that. Yeah. And, um, and my dentist at the time assured me that everybody does this. She's like, oh, so many people are wearing these things, these flippers. <laughs> um, it's super common. And I said, I don't want one of those at all. That seems really uncomfortable and not and something I would not like. And she said, no, 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 you get used to it. It's a normal thing. And so I sort of sighed and submitted to this long process where she was sending away for all these things. And the flipper arrived and um, her assistant tried to fit it to me. It wouldn't quite fit. So he started to sand away the good tooth no. that was next to the miss. And I said, stop right there. I do not want my good teeth sanded for this stupid tooth to be right. put in. Seriously. He was like he was offended because he was just doing his job. Um, and so I did finally get this flipper fitted. I wore it for about a day. <laughs> it felt like I had a chain link fence on the roof of my mouth. Um, it made me lisp. It was so uncomfortable. I mean, you know, I suffer from claustrophobia, and mm. this thing made me feel claustrophobic. I can totally understand that. So I took the flipper out, and then I, and I actually switched dentists. I would too. And went went to the rock and roll dentist, and the rock and roll dentist said, uh, "We're going to put a titanium implant, screw it into your head, and put a tooth on it." 
And I said, okay, let's do it. And she said, but first you have to wear braces because we don't want to put a titanium implant in your face if your teeth aren't completely straight because then we can never move the titanium implant. So if some later date you do want your teeth straightened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that seems unlikely. She said, no, 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 we don't just put a titanium implant in. You have to have braces. And then, Dan, at that point in my life, I was like, okay, sure. Because not because my teeth were not straight, but because at that point I was, I was legit. You know what I mean? Like I, I bought a house. Right. I was, I was grown up now. Grown ups, other grown ups were telling me things. Professional grown ups mm-hmm. were sitting in their grown up chairs and mm-hmm. their grown up offices telling me things. And I said, okay. And I went to other grown ups who put braces on me. And I wore braces, Dan, for three years mm. of my adult life, miserable years wearing braces. And while I was wearing braces, uh, they, the dentists started to reiterate a thing I've been hearing from dentists since I was a teenager, which is that my lower jaw kept growing past the point where it should have stopped. Hence my beard shaped face. And so my like teeth clanged to each other. kind of a thing or? Well, no, I mean, I mean, I'm not like, it's not like jaws from the, James Bond film okay. Moonraker. Well, I mean, that's what's coming to mind. No, it's just a slight bit so that my teeth clam onto one another top to bottom. They don't fit like they're supposed to, which is the bottom teeth are slightly. Right. Slightly behind, behind the front. Yeah. Front teeth. That's not how my teeth fit. They just, the tips just touch. And so the dentists, these grown-ups, started to say, well, we need to align your teeth before we put the implant in. So the way to do that is that we break your jaw, cut some millimeters of bone, bolt it back together. Now you've got your braces on. Your jaw is bolted back together. Mm -hmm. And then we put the titanium implant. And so this seemed crazy to me. But the first time I heard this, I was 17. I had a dentist named Dr. Darling in in Anchorage, Alaska. (laughs) Dr. Darling had, he was the... I like that, John. (laughs) Dr. Darling. He was the only dentist I had in my whole life that used nitrous oxide. And one day I was in his office and they gave me a little bit of nitrous to get me ready. And then they left me alone in there and the the dental assistants walked out. And I had this light sort of nitrousy, like head lightness. And I looked, I was looking around the office. I looked over my shoulder and there was the nitrous machine. And I noticed that it had two cylinders with little ping pong balls floating. And on one side it was NO2, nitrous oxide. And on the other side it was oxygen, pure oxygen. 
and they had it so that the nitrous um, ping pong ball was sort of bobbing along an inch and a half up the tube and the oxygen pin ping pong ball was way up here, six and a half inches up the tube. And I deduced that this was the proportion of nitrous to oxygen that was being sure. delivered into my mask. Right. So it was right there on the table. So I leaned over. It seemed very simple to operate. And I turned the oxygen way down and I turned the nitrous way up. So then laying in the dentist chair, I was just tripping balls on nitrous oxide, which has always been one of my favorite light intoxicants. And I'm just like, boo, and you know, you get this kind of like <laughs> oscillating white, black sort of color, uh, paddles to, you know, nitrous gives you that in your head, really digging it. And they left me in there for a long time. So I was like, and I, you know, I was certainly getting the oxygen that's in the nitrous oxide. It's right there in the name. <laughs> right. Yeah. But eventually uh, they came in, the dentist, Dr. Darling and the assistant, and they walked in and and looked over at the machine and they were like, oh, oh, my goodness. You know, this is this is set all wrong. And he starts sort of disciplining the the uh, dental assistant. And she's like, that's not how I did it. And they put it, fixed it all back and the nitrous went away and oxygen was restored. Um, and they gave me a sideways look, but I just appeared to be just a guy who's been sitting in the chair for a while. Right. Sure. I didn't let on. No. I still think about that as one of my, one of those little instances where I triumphed over the man. Yeah. Oh, for sure you did. Yeah. Anyway, to continue this saga. So the braces now had straightened my teeth and I went to an oral surgeon. Okay. And again, these are all grown up people. I sit in the oral surgeon's office. He looks at me. He says, look, for years people have been breaking. So people, uh, dentists have been confronting people like you and they've been breaking their lower jaw and moving it back. But that's barbaric. Nice. And I was like, yes, it does sound barbaric. <laughs> and he said, what do you do if you move the jaw backwards? Huh? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I wasn't prepared for a quiz. Right. And he said, you make the airway narrower. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. He said, exactly. You don't want to make the airway narrower. I said, no. <laughs> he said, what we do these days is we saw off your entire upper mandible, your whole upper set of teeth, and we move it forward and then bolt it down into your skull. And I was like, oh. It doesn't that sound... Does not, yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound much better to me. No, it doesn't sound any less barbaric. I did not I did not think that when God made the head he ever intended part a major part of it to be sawed off and right. moved. 
But I had gone so far at this point. I had right. spent You cares no turning back. Thousands of dollars and three years in braces. And so all of this to get this one tooth replaced. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. Let's do it. My God, I'll do it. Right. No, you have he to. Said, you had well, no choice. I had no choice. This is what the grown-ups were telling me. And he said, well, first we have to pull all four of your wisdom teeth. Oh, my God. And I said, what? My wisdom teeth are fine. Because I have this enormous jaw, they came in. I didn't even notice it. They've never caused me any problems at all. They just sit back there. I use them to chew beef ribs. Right. And other super chewy things. Sure. I use them to crunch popcorn kernels until one day they shatter. And he was like, nope, you got to get them out. Because we can't cut your face apart if you have these uh, wisdom teeth back there. So I was like, ugh. So I submitted to having all four of my wisdom teeth pulled at once. Oh, boy. Even though I was 42 years old and had wisdom teeth the entire time. And then eventually I show up for my final consultation before the enormous surgery where my face is rearranged. And I said, is this going to change my appearance? And he said, well, it's not not going to change your appearance. <laughs> right. Okay. And I get there and the woman behind the counter says, oh, um, we contacted your insurance company and they won't cover this. And I said, what? What are you talking about? Like, this is the whole, like, I can't get the... I can't get the implant until I move my face because that's the only way that the three years worth of braces will have accomplished the ultimate goal. Shouldn't we have looked at the insurance first? Wouldn't that have been the first thing we did was determine whether this was even doable? Yeah. And the doctor came out and said, well, look, you know, that's a bummer, but the surgery is only $50,000. Oh my gosh. And we can finance it. And I said, all of you grownups go to fucking hell. Were you angry? Were you like, uh, I was, I was furious. I was so furious. Oh my God. And so I went immediately to the orthodontist and I said, take these braces off today. And they said, Oh, that's not recommended. And I said, take them off now. And they were like very wide eyed because I was not playing around. Right. I said, I do not want to hear any more of this talk. Take these braces off. And they did. And then I went to my dentist, the one who had started this whole process. And I said, did you not think to look into this before you recommended this? And she said, oh, that was your responsibility. Of course. And with that, there's nothing more I could say because apparently it was my responsibility and it's one more instance where I have failed myself and failed all the grownups by not realizing that I needed to sit down at my bill paying table and wait on hold with an insurance company 11 times and ask them if a thing I didn't understand was covered by a policy I didn't understand. 
So uh, it, it turned out I had let the grown-ups down. And so I said to my dentist, will you just put a tooth, a plastic tooth in the space, glue it to the teeth on either side right, and leave me alone and let me go. And so she did. And now I have a tooth that is just cemented in between the other teeth. It's why you don't see a lot of pictures of me smiling broadly. Okay. Because it doesn't look that good. It is not super functional. I can't bite into things, but I've learned over time to just bite with other teeth. A couple of times in the last eight years, it has fallen out, broken. I went to a dentist one time in New York City who was a good dentist. He put a new tooth in there. And now he continues to send me emails wishing me a happy birthday and happy Hanukkah yeah. uh, every year, even though I just went into him for an emergency. I got onto his mailing list. And here I stand, head in hand, um, with this glued-in tooth. And just recently, my dentist has started to say, why don't we just make you a bridge like we made for old people for decades? Back in the day, you right. make a bridge, which right. is you just, it's the, basically the same thing. You attach it. You have to, you have to saw one of your teeth down, but then you cap it, cap the other side. It's this, it's not cantilevered. It's just a, it's actually a bridge between the teeth on either side. And then it becomes a, I think a tooth that you can maybe eat sandwiches with, maybe mm -hmm. eat apples with. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess around with it. But it looks natural. So that's the new thing, the new proposal. But it involves it involves uh, ruining one of my existing actual teeth in order to accomplish its sadistic goal. So every day I wake up and I still have this tooth glued in. And when I think about it and talk about it and the whole history of all I went through yeah. after this tooth broke out, if I could go back and just say to myself then, get a bridge. Yeah, why didn't Don't they suggest the bridge to you or initially, do you think? Because, because dentists are grown-ups – and they go to continuing dental education classes where the latest technologies are revealed mm -hmm. and they sit and talk about all the cool advances in dentistry. Um, and because their goal is to have each person have a, <clears throat> a, a perfect bite or as perfect as you can get it. Um, they don't uh, – they're just – they're sort of driven – in a way, it's the um, – if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail problem, right? Right, right. Except it's not that they have a hammer. It's that they have these fascinating new technologies. The last time I went to the dentist, she put in a – she was doing some work. And rather than put the suction hose on one side – right and have the dental assistant use a little uh, sprayer on the other side. Right. 
she said, open your mouth wide. And she put in this apparatus, which was a dental dam that had suction built into it and water built into it. And it, you know, held my mouth open for her to work in this space while also performing all these tasks. And she put it in and I raised my hand and she pulled it out and I said, I can't wear that thing. That's terrible. That makes me feel like I'm being waterboarded. She said, well, try it again. And she put it back in and, you know, the panic rose up in me instantly. Like, Mm. get that thing out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, well, okay. And then they went, they put a hose in one side and and used the sprayer. And I was like, I'm sure that was thrilling when it, when it arrived here. It looked so amazing in the dental dental catalog, but it's awful. It's an awful thing. Why make this process more awful? And also, they the the whole logic for this is that the fact that my teeth clang a, upon each other mm-hmm. means that they are wearing each other down. Sure. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. And as time goes on, for the second half of my life, because I'm at the midpoint now. Mm-hmm. I will gradually wear my teeth down until they are tiny, tiny, tiny little flat nubbins. And I will look like somebody from deliverance and I won't be able to eat. (laughs) And my life will be just a constant source of agony. And so they're, they're trying to help me Dan. They're trying to do me a favor, solve this problem for me now. And, and so Again, by not having that done, I'm disappointing them. Right. And they would never have said, let's just put a bridge in there and let it ride because that's just, I'm just going to like chew my own face apart. So instead of doing that, it's like, let's put a flipper in there until we can get the braces on there until we can saw his face apart. Mm. And then, you know, that's the real stuff. You know, that's the stuff of legends. And then your teeth never have any problems again. And you will live forever. But I screwed it up. I didn't read the manual. And so here I am today. Really, actually, 10 years later. And, um... And I'm I'm still mad if I if I sit and think yeah, it about it. It just seems like they just were playing games with you the whole time, just messing around with you, trying. Well, we'll try one thing, and it's like you're a like a, you know, like a guinea pig to just experiment well, part on. Of, part of it, I think, is that they weren't communicating with each other, or if they were, they weren't covering some basics, mm-hmm. right? They weren't saying like, "Who's going to pay for this?" And it may be that a lot of people that go to the dentist work at jobs where their insurance is paid for, but I think dental insurance is harder to get than it seems. And I mean, I don't know. I tried to yell at everybody, um, but professional grownups are also pretty immune to being yelled at mm-hmm. because, um, you know, they, they have justifications and if you allow yourself to be yelled at for things, it seems never ending. You know, there, there are a couple of like 
doctors don't admit they made a mistake. Like doctors do something and the patient dies. They're not going to come out and say, like, I fucked up. Mm, right. They're going to say, oh, there were complications. It also happens with uh, record producers. If they delete, accidentally lean on the console and delete the best guitar solo you ever played, they are not going to come to you and say, oh, shit, I screwed up. They're going to say, why don't we hit that guitar one more time? You know, like there's not really because if you say I screwed up and I deleted it, then the artist for the rest of their lives will say, well, the reason that this record wasn't a number one hit is that the best guitar solo in history got erased. Right. You know, it's, it's like you won't forgive. And same with like, oh, the reason that my uncle died was this doctor left a scalpel in there. <laughs> right. Um, the doctor doesn't want that. So it's just like complications. And this is true. I think of a lot of, a lot of grownups, they figure out how to, um, you know, success has a thousand mothers, but <laughs> failure is an orphan or something like that. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they figure out a way to sort of go, well, should have read the, I figured that you sat and read the, all the, things and made all the phone calls because that's what other grown-ups do. <sighs> I didn't mean to get you upset about it. No, it's all right. I mean, I have, I have become more and more comfortable with the fact that I'm not really a grown-up. I never wanted to be. I never joined the grown-up world. It always seemed like a mystery, a mysterious and largely unappealing mm -hmm. transition that I didn't want to make. You know, when I, when I ran for city council, I was in a world of grownups. Yeah. Of course. The I, whole, I don't the think you would time. find more grownups than, than in that place. You know, and I would go to these hotel ballrooms and there would be all these people there, enormous rooms full of people, all of them grown up people working grown up jobs. And I, had been in those rooms my whole life because my dad went to those rooms. My dad also not really a grown up, but he was of a generation that he could, you know, he could front like he was a grown up. He didn't realize he wasn't a grown up. That was my dad's primary talent. <laughs> um, so I'm used to being in those rooms, but I was used to being in those rooms, like leaning against the back wall smirking. I wasn't used to being in there and, and like being a fellow adult. And now that I'm uh, King Neptune of Seafair. Yeah, really. I'm back in a world of grownups and it's, they're the, they are the fun grownups. They're the ones that work in the tourism industry. They're the ones that, you know, hotel people and um, People that work in wine, you know, there, damn, there are a lot of people who work in wine. Yeah, that's a huge and, industry, isn't it? Yeah, wine and beer. And you have good wineries up and around there, at least in, in Portland, I know there are, but Seattle has some too, doesn't it? Oh, my God. Yes, the whole region. I mean, south of uh, Portland in the Dundee area, 
um, the Willamette Valley, boy, they do have some good wines. But here in Washington, there are wines, 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 wines aplenty. And I think we are the, – the Willamette Valley has been a wine area for many years since the uh, – not since olden times, but my uncle had a winery there in the early 70s called Knutson Arath. He mm. partnered with a winemaker named Arath and they had their own – you know, their, they made their own wines and then – Knutson Arath split their partnership. Arath went on to make a big label. And the Knutsons did not they can they they retained all their land and grapes, but they just grew grapes and sold the grapes to other vinters. So you were drinking Knutson grapes all the time, but you just you didn't realize it. They even sold them to Arath because they're right next door to each other. Now, the Knutsons are my cousins, my first cousins. And only recently did they decide that they were going to bring back the Knutson name in the wine business. And so they are now producing Knutson wines. And they are making a real go at it. You know, they're mature vineyards. And uh, delicious wines. And I think, you know, now they're – I was up there not very long ago and Arath has this big, beautiful tasting room and big house and so forth where you can come drink Arath wines and sit around and I, I don't know what, eat pretzels or whatever wine people do. And apparently the big Arath tasting house – is actually built on Knutson land and owned by the Knutsons. Mm. And there's about to be a little bit of a <whistles> over this big tasting place because I think the Knutsons are going to turn it into the Knutson tasting house and pretzel I see. factory. Yes. So I have a I have a long association, family association with Oregon wines. Um and when I was a drinking person, I was fortunate enough to be often in an environment where wines were just lying around. My uncle had one of those wine cellars that was impressive, apparently. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't care at that point because I just wanted drinks. And so, uh, but I would drink this, you know, I would kind of spirit away, uh, a couple of bottles in the, in the, in my pant legs, but I quit drinking at a young age, 26 years old. And so I never really learned the trade, you know, I never got to the age where I sat around swirling wine in a glass and talking about how it tasted like boot leather and, and wood chips. Right. So it's kind of a mystery, but, um, but, but yeah, so I think for a long time, the Washington wineries were trying, were kind of playing catch up. Yeah. But so these are the people that I'm interacting with as King Neptune <laughs> and you know, they all have, they're all hustling, right? There's a lot of hustle in the grown up world. Yeah. Oh yeah. And but the hustle is all like, I don't know. It just feels very stressful to me, the, all the hustle. 
because you're relying on other people to give you opportunities and people screw each other. I mean, I, I, th- there's all that in rock and roll too, but I guess I figured out a way. Um, I, f- I figured out a lifestyle to accommodate my almost 100% lack of hustle. Like I do not like hustling. My, my attitude is always like, well, give it to me if you want to, if you don't fine. But you've made that work for you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I've totally made it work for me unless you measure potential. Damn. If you have one of those potential rulers, potential yardsticks where you are capable of measuring someone's potential, which God, it's surprising how many people own one of those potential yardsticks mm-hmm. because they talk about it all the fucking time. Particularly when you're a kid, they pull them out all the time. Oh, well, on the potential yardstick. And boy, according to the potential yardstick, I have not made it work for me because potentially I could have turned into white hot light. Oh, really? And soared, yeah, soared through the universe like the silver surfer. Uh, but instead, I just, you know. I already took one nap today. I woke up, drove my daughter to school, took my acoustic guitar, and then played a bunch of songs for my daughter's class. Oh, nice. Like feeling, or the 59th Street Bridge song or feeling groovy. Mm-hmm. And um, Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. And, you know, the classics. Gave them a little concert, little little six-year-olds who are just mesmerized by the guitar. And then I drove home, took a little nap, ate a cinnamon roll, which I don't, someone was visiting and bought a, a pallet of cinnamon rolls. And I said, you're taking those when you go, aren't you? Oh yes. I'm taking these cinnamon rolls. (laughs) I said, because I do not want 14 cinnamon rolls. Please do not leave them here. Oh, no, no, no. I'm taking the cinnamon rolls for sure. Uh, and uh, then uh, this person left and did not take the cinnamon We would like to say thank you very much to Pitney Bowes. These guys make something cool called Send Pro. Send Pro lets you ship stuff. That's, that's all I, if, you, if, you, if that's all you remember is that they let you ship stuff and they do it in the most efficient, economical way possible. They have three times the features of Stamps.com at one-third the price. You print postage, you print stamps from your computer. That's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. You don't need any special equipment. You don't ever have to go like wait in line at the post office. You can compare shipping rates and delivery times between the USPS and other major carriers so that you know you're always getting the best deal when you ship packages. Uh, you can print uh, paid shipping labels for USPS and UPS and more. You can track your shipments all in the same interface. So when you go through and you're like, okay, I got to box this thing up, it'll have your uh, it'll have your tracking number, and right there, it'll show you the progress of the th- of your shipment. You don't even have to like go to the USPS website. It's all built in. And Pitney Bowes has negotiated special rates for SendPro users, saving start at uh, three cents per stamp. 
and they've got tons of options for businesses. Five bucks a month versus fifteen ninety nine a month for stamps.com. That's just to get their features. Five bucks a month. How can you go wrong? You can't go wrong. But this deal is only for a limited time. And here's what you do. And by the way, that's a lifetime deal. When you sign up for it, you get that price built in for life. Pretty awesome. If you're a small business, if you're selling stuff, shipping stuff a lot, this is awesome. Go to pb.com slash roadwork. Again, that's pb.com slash roadwork to get that special $5 a month deal. And they will even send you a free 10-pound scale. So when you're weighing stuff, you get it exactly right. Now you get a scale. You don't even have to go get a scale. I don't see how you could do any better than that. pb.com slash roadwork. Get your scale. Get your five bucks a month. And we appreciate the support of Pitney Bowes and Senpro. They, it's not like the cinnamon rolls were invisible. Right. Um, you know, she was gathering her keys and her energy drink and her her pipe tobacco and her crossbow and all the other things she needed. But somehow the palette of cinnamon rolls stuck around. And so what am I supposed to do? Throw them away? No. No. You have to be reasonable about what expectations are put on you. Yeah, exactly. So I took a cinnamon roll and I did the old, I did the old cinnamon roll trick. I put it in the microwave for 15 seconds. Yeah. On high. Yeah, I never cook anything in the microwave except on high. Yeah, our our friend in common, Merlin, um, he purports to be a master of reheating using using all of the microwave settings. All of them. Different temperatures, different power levels for really? different timers and all of this. And he says that he can he can cook a whole meal from scratch just with a microwave. But I'm with you. I think that's, I mean, he, more power to him if he can make that work. But for me, it's just high for however long I feel it, you should do it. So is it, is it high for, for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes? That's it. I don't buy the low power thing or defrost settings or anything like that. Nonsense. Nonsense. If you can't, if you can't run your microwave on just high, just by varying that. And mine even has a little knob on it. So you can turn really? the knob and add increments of just one second. What all the sorcery way up to is minutes. this? Yeah, it's very cool. That's very huh. cool. So that like if I want to do, you know, 13 seconds, because that's the huh. lucky number, I can do 13 seconds just by huh. turning that little knob. It's genius. My microwave has a add 30 seconds button. Yeah, I've got that. I've got to add a minute. Your microwave sounds kind of killer. Yeah, it's really cool. It came came with the house as far as I can remember. And that popcorn setting, that, John, that popcorn oh, setting is oh, BS. I don't trust it. No way. Microwave, uh, popcorn goes in for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? What is the popcorn setting? No, that we don't know. Is it it's testing? Listening? Is it listening? Is it testing the air and the moisture content in the air? I don't think it does anything. I think it's just a shortcut for hitting three minutes. Yeah. You put in three minutes and then you wait until the popping slows down and then you wait a couple more pops and then you stop. 
then it's usually about 247. Is that how you make popcorn or do you do it on the stove, stovetop, on the range? No, come on, microwave oh, popcorn. I mean, if, no way. You make popcorn on the range? Oh, yeah, this is amazing. It's so easy to do it. I thought it was going to be hard to do it. I'll tell you, it's the easiest thing. And in my opinion, the popcorn comes out way, way, way better. The difference is you do have to wash the pot later. Whereas with the microwave popcorn, you just throw the bag away, which, you know, the general so population of America. So you take a pot, you America put some oil like in the that. bottom. I recommend the traditional, Now, here's a bit of trivia that you probably know. The original oil that was used to pop popcorn back in the old days, before they convinced the really, you know, the, the, the perpetrated this, this awful hoax that this kind of oil was bad and that we should all switch to partially hydrogenated soybean oil before that fiasco. Yeah. Traditional popcorn was made in coconut oil. Coconut oil. Coconut oil. Back in the old days, if you went to the movie theaters, they probably were using coconut oil is my understanding. Okay. Okay. Tell but me I, why. I mean, we cook a lot with the coconut oil anyway. So I, you can use any oil you want. How's about, how's about well, now, that? So wait, wait, wait. Slow down, Dan. But I recommend the coconut. I want to hear about this this hoax, this partially hydrogenated hoax. You, you want to hear about that? Well, back in the, I'm guessing it was in the 60s. I would have to look this up because it's been a while since I studied this, but I did study it at one point. And you know how you know how our memories are nowadays. Like you read something, like I can tell you the layout of my science classroom from my junior year of high school and where everybody sat and who everybody was and what my project was on. But like, really? what did I what did I read a week ago? I have no idea. Anyway, uh, apparently, what you happened, can remember your junior high school class in that course, kind of detail? Of course. Here's what I remember about junior high: sitting in class, daydreaming about the ability to stop time, and if I were able to stop time, I would go take a nap, and then wake up and find all the cookies nice and eat them yeah that was what i daydreamed about in i didn't daydream about going and and seeing boobs i daydreamed about napping and eating cookies that's what i remember that's all i remember <laughs> about junior high that's great all right now go lay this oil science on me okay well a long time ago uh, and I, and I, again, I think this was in the sixties, but they came out with, they being probably them, them the baddies, yep. uh, came out with something that, that, uh, a report of some kind that said all of these kinds of oils, saturated fats or whatever, uh, are, these are all bad. And, uh -huh. um, and and we need to remove all of these. And instead of using these, we should switch everything over to uh, soybean oil and all this stuff that we now know is actually really bad for you. Right. Uh, but back then there was this this move away from that, and 
you know, now we know that eating foods that are high in fat don't make you fat. Eating foods that are high in cholesterol don't raise your cholesterol. These are, these are facts that the studies have shown now. We know this. But back then, they, they didn't understand it, and the tests were compromised. The studies were compromised. Anyway, long story short, they switched away from all of these oils to, like, soybean oil and other things. But the traditional uh, popcorn popping oil, as I understand it, was coconut oil. I recommend the coconut oil. It You don't really taste the flavor of the coconut in it. But you know what? Use any oil you want. I don't care. Use whatever you want. And here's what you do. You take a pot. And it's got to be like a, you know, like a, it depends on how much popcorn you're going to want. But like maybe the pot you might, you know, boil spaghetti in or something maybe bigger than a sauce pot, you know. And uh, it's got to have. Pot. It's you gotta, just said sauce pot. Yeah. What about that? How do you Nobody heat? Nobody says sauce pot. What do they say? It's a saucepan. Pan, but it's got to be the, not a pan. It's got to no, come no, up that, on the sides. No, that's the, the, the term, the term of art is saucepan. All right. But, but if you're talking about a pot versus a pan, a pan to me is like what you're going to fry your eggs in and a pot, well, sure, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a saucepan. All right. It's a kind of pan. But I just, I'm trying you're, to avoid using the word pan because here's what's going to happen is somebody's going to hear the word pan. They're going to get triggered. They're going to go and try this in a pan, an actual fry pan or a saute pan or something, and it's going to come out crap, and they're going to be like, thanks right. a lot, Dan. I wasted the coconut oil that I bought special. I wasted the popcorn. This turned out horrible, and now my significant other says we can never do it again and laughs at me every time they put the popcorn bag in for two minutes and 47 seconds. So right, I'm trying not to use to the word pan no matter what. I'm trying to use... Right, but here's, here's, what you, here's, here's the thing, right? I'm going to trigger you, If you... Um, like, for instance, a lot of times when somebody uses the word asshole in print, uh-huh. like in the New York Times or somewhere else, <laughs> sure, I guess yeah. they use it in the New York Times. Uh-huh. What they do is they write A star star H-O-L-E. Yeah. Right? But the dirty part of the word asshole is whole. That's what makes right? it bad, right? That's so you should, oh, you're bad. saying it put the asterisk over the O. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm there. A-S-S-H star star E. Right. That is the way that you should. Oh, my God. You're really on to something. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, ass is a dirty word. So we star the S's. No, ass is just just another word for butt or donkey. Donkey, yeah. It's the whole. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, so here's, I'll I'll, say. Well, now, wait a minute. But what I'm saying is the flaw in your description is not in pan versus pot. It's that I called a saucepan a sauce pot, but I, that's not a thing. Yeah. Sauce pot is not a thing. You can have, you, you're saying make it in a pot. Okay. Here's what so I'm you saying. Say, I'm spaghetti saying spaghetti pot or soup pot. Or how about this? Get a two quart or a three quart saucepan. How's that? No, there's no three quart saucepan. There is. That's a pot. Right, but that's a pop, but you still would put your tomato sauce in there to, you know, mix it up. What are you going right. to cook your tomato sauce in? A saucepan. How big? Two quart. No, I think you're cre- I think you're you're making your tomato sauce in a pot. A saucepan is where you make like bechamel sauce or you're just or like you're a, just trying to impress me and it's working. Like a light, you know, like a like a light mushroom sauce okay. or a pepper sauce. A bul- bulga base. A bouillabaisse. Bouillabaisse. 
Although I don't think that's a sauce. No. Well, anyway, you get anyway. you get yourself a, a a pot, and I would put a layer of the oil. It doesn't need to be a lot. People are going to want to go overboard on the oil. It's just not necessary to do that. You I put, go overboard on the oil. That's one of my main problems. I mean, but here's the thing: whatever, however much oil you put in, you want it to be over the whole bottom of the pot. The whole thing should be covered up. And then when you put the popcorn in, you want the popcorn. The most popcorn you can do is one layer of kernels that goes from up to a maximum of edge to edge in there. So there's no kernels are on top of each other. You want one flat layer of kernels that have been are, are maybe up to the maximum would be, you don't even need this much, but to the top of the kernels with the oil at the most. You want them just sort of waiting, gently waiting in the oil how do you accomplish all this this you just, seems you like wax a tremendous some, you just whack some oil in there pour the popcorn kernels in and it's done it's super easy it takes it, there's no measuring you just do, do it by eyeballing it then you, you put whack the kernels in there yeah just whack them in there uh-huh, okay you whack them in you know what i'm saying like if you just sort of pew, pew. yeah pew, chuck some in there Oh, okay. Chuck them in. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. And then yeah. you you turn the heat up. Toss them in. You toss them in. Well. Whack them in. You turn the heat up. Yeah. And put the lid on it. And then the turn rest it of to it. How, to how? Turn it up where? I don't know. Wherever you want. Medium. Medium? Sure. It's well, hot enough? Medium is hot enough? My stove is medium's perfect. Look, you got to walk me through every step here. I mean, do you have a gas? Do you have a gas range or electric stove top? Sigh. Electric. From my reaction, from my reaction, you can know what it it's is. Electric. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you would set it to. Yeah. Uh, we've got a gas range. It's the best thing since sliced yeah, bread. Yeah, you would. You would probably set it to go to the store and get a better range. <laughs> right. That's the setting. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're lucky enough to have a cast range, I do it on medium. How you know? I would say this: hotter than you would cook your fry fry your eggs on. Okay, but cooler than you might sear a steak. Oh, okay. You're talking to somebody that just turns it on high for everything. <laughs> well, this is not a microwave, John. Okay, so I would say right. start with medium and see what happens. Because when you do this right, you'll put the lid on and you'll go away from it. And then after just maybe two minutes, you should hear the popping begin. And the rest of it works just like a, um, just like doing it in the, in the microwave. You listen. And then when the pop starts slowing down, you dump it out and it goes right into what, a big bowl. What about the shaking? Optional. Really, it's optional. You don't have to shake it. You can shake it if you want. My kids always say, don't you have to shake it? And I say, no, watch. And I never shake it. And they stare at it, and it pops it perfect every time. No, no unpopped kernels the way I do it. Never. If I have one, I have to throw the whole batch out and we'll try again another day. No. No, I wouldn't do that. But uh, no, we very rarely get any unpopped kernels. Really? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what. The next time we do this, my kids are asking me to do this every single day. 
they ask every day. And what's nice is while that's sitting over there on the on the on the stovetop, you can go and uh, microwave some butter to melt that. You can pour butter right over it. That makes it good. And then you salt it right when it comes out. Put the butter on it. <sighs> Come on. Come on. All right. All right, Dan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a video, I'm gonna make a video for you. I'll make a video for you. But don't right. go crazy and put any other. Don't put like cheddar cheese powder on it. Don't put garlic salt on it. Don't put anything. It's got to be kosher salt or sea salt. I recommend I recommend a sea salt, to be honest, because it's got more flavor. Oh, what are you even so talking good. about with this up cheese powder? Yeah, what you've seen that? people put like a cheddar cheese or a, some kind of cheese garbage on it. Save that for your I mac and not. cheese. I have not seen people do this. Yeah, not sure. at all. Look it up. Uh, let me ask you this, Dan. Did you put ketchup on your macaroni and cheese? Never. No. Sin. What do you think about hot dogs in your macaroni and cheese? I mean, it's it's not macaroni and cheese anymore, but you could do that. I've never done that. I would never do that. If somebody served you hot dogs in your macaroni and cheese, would you eat it? Uh, how well do I know? Is it the person serving it? Are they simply a worker in a restaurant or is this a friend? This is a good question. I'm going to say it's a friend. A friend. Invites I'll, you over to the house. I'll eat it. Yeah, I'll eat it. Okay. If it's in a restaurant, I'm picking that out of there. You're picking the hot dogs out? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're little like chopped up hot dogs. It's not that they're like two hot dogs. How chopped up? Two full hot dogs. Well, they're chopped up into little, you know, they're the size of... Um, like you know sliced up m- or, or minced? No, no, no. Sliced <laughs> up, like like the size of those little uh, Reese's peanut butter cup single serving. Yeah, five I'd, cent ones I'd, probably have the to take, I'd probably have to take those out. I might eat them separately, but I'm not going to eat... I'm not going to eat the meat coins mixed into the... Into the macaroni and cheese there's no need to mix i'm not a big mixer of flavors uh-huh. you know like i don't uh, want to like i don't want to mix two things that have nothing to do with one another i don't want raisins in my oatmeal cookies or certainly don't want chocolate chips in oatmeal cookies and that just i makes agreed with you worse. i agreed with you on the first one but i'm not sure i can agree with you on the second one because chocolate chips make everything better no how do you feel about chocolate chips in your banana bread I don't want chocolate chips in anything with one exception, a chocolate chip cookie, and that's it. Nothing else gets this chocolate seems, chips. This seems crazy to me. What about a what about a chocolate muffin with chocolate chips? I mean, I would never yeah. I would never pick a chocolate muffin. I would never pick anything chocolate except maybe a brownie. But I would never ch- I would never choose a chocolate dessert of any kind if I had another option. But if I had to, and then you want to put, no, I don't want chocolate chips in a chocolate muffin. No, hmm. that's nonsense. What do you need that for? I don't want that texture or taste happening. I want a straight up flavor. Give me the, the best chocolate muffin you can. If you're putting something else in it, like a chocolate chip, that's a crutch for you. You're not a very good cook. I see. You're, you're probably struggling. And what you've done is you've tasted the muffin before and you said, wow, this sucks. What am I going to do to save this? You know what? Everyone likes chocolate chips. 
I'll put chocolate chips in a muffin that probably was fine because I think it's going to be better. It's just like when people go and put cherries in an apple pie. Sin. I don't want Who that. puts cherries in an apple pie? You've seen that. That's a very popular thing. You live in do. a crazy world. Tell me you've never seen that. I've never seen cherries in an apple pie. Yeah, they do that. It's the worst. I don't know what people are thinking. But no, it I don't want like chocolate chips be, in anything, John. Nothing. That would be described as a mixed fruit pie at that point, wouldn't it? I, wa- I want it to be that, but people will still... I can't tell you how many times I've said, do you guys have any apple pie on the menu? Oh, we got a great apple pie here. Okay, I'd love to have an apple pie and slice apple pie, and they bring it out, and it's cherries in it and mixed in. I said, well, this is cherries in it. Right, that's how we do the apple pies. This happened many mm. times to me and all across the U.S. Yeah. Well, here's the here's why this has not happened to me. I would rather go without dessert than have apple pie. I love a good apple pie, like with the crumble well, crust on top. You, you know, you're a, you're a salt of the earth type of person, Entenmann's. and uh, you know, I am not. I don't want an apple pie. I don't want a cherry pie. I don't want either of those pies. If the pie doesn't have a berry in it, keep it. Keep your pie. That's what about what, a, what about a peach pie? No, I'm not from the South. No, I don't want a peach pie. What about chocolate chips in in pancakes? Uh, that's pushing it only because I feel like pancakes. When I say this next thing, it's going to sound like I think pancakes are great, and I don't. I think pancakes are a perfect food in that a pancake with a pat of butter on it and some maple syrup, it's like perfect. It's mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Now, I don't think that pancakes are great. If you offered me a pancake or an omelet, I would always take the omelet. But you don't need chocolate chips in a pancake. I do believe that that is, what, that is your comments about the chocolate muffin with the chips in it. I think that's true of pancakes with chocolate. Yeah. But let me ask you this, Dan. If you are, I'm guessing that in Austin where you live, that you are somewhat of a snob about Starbucks. And by somewhat, I mean, I mean, 1000% won't go into a Starbucks. Oh, no. Starbucks is just fine. Oh, okay. Starbucks is fine. Any, see, this is the thing. Back in my, uh, in my super snobby coffee days before it was a fashionable thing to be, snobby about coffee i yeah you were really ahead of the curve i was i was really embarrassing it was it looking back super embarrassing how much i cared about coffee i even tried roasting beans myself you know buying the beans like roast them in the oven and really embarrassing yeah and after we had our first kid coffee just kind of became like just so much of a of a necessity to function that I just put all, cast all of that aside and I said, you know what? Any coffee is fine and I can enjoy a coffee uh-huh. anywhere. Starbucks is perfect. No Any problem. old port in a storm. And you know what? I mean, I can, it's not like I can't tell the difference. I can absolutely yeah. tell the difference between coffee from like one of our really good coffee, coffee places like, um, like Houndstooth or Cafe You Medici. just don't give a fuck when it's time to not give a fuck. Right. You know what? You, if I need coffee, if I want coffee, I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. So let me let me uh, let me riddle you this: If you are at a Starbucks and you haven't had any food that day, and you need a little something to get on down the road, uh-huh. what thing 
do you pick from the Starbucks? Uh, from their little uh, refrigerant section. Little refrigerator or thing, their little area. They would have nothing what? nothing for me. There would be nothing Not I could thing. have. No, because I don't, I, as you know, I don't, you don't eat, gluten. Gluten, eat gluten. I'm pretty paleo. My snacks, I I have very, very few carbs in a, in a given day. So like the idea, even, even if they had like a gluten-free turkey sandwich in there, that I would eat that, but that wouldn't be like my go-to, but I would have that. But I don't think they have stuff like that. It, the ones I go to, they've got, the only thing I could probably eat there would be what, a banana, which is not going to do much for me. A banana? No. I would wait. I would wait until I got to the barbecue truck and get a full rack of baby back ribs and eat all of them. Well, today I want you to go get one of those and mail it to me somehow. I'm do that. I'll find out how to do it. It's got to be pricey to yeah, do it. What, should I divert some of the Patreon money to, to getting this to you? Is it that important no. to you? No. Okay. No, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> okay. I feel like, um, you know, every... Every all the time, I am receiving these wonderful blue apron boxes, and uh, they seem to come in the mail without too much hullabaloo. Yeah, reasonably priced and uh, and full of different kinds of food. Why should it be more difficult for you to get me some delicious Texas style barbecue? Not Texas style. Oh, I guess I would actual have to, Texas. I would have to refrigerate, you know, like put it on ice somehow, right? So pack some kind of a cooler thing full of ice the way that like the key um, is the key is it's got to move it's got to hustle yeah like the blue apron people send you send stuff i could use like a blue apron box repurpose it put it on i'd have to get the dry ice i gotta find where i can get dry ice pack it in the dry ice and then i'd also need to make sure that when it gets to you that you're not just you know, out doing a show or something that, that you're like ready to receive right, it. That, that I don't leave it out on the porch for a week and let the raccoons get it. Do you think I would have to, uh, do you think I would have to, uh, like, like freeze it first? I would think I would have to freeze the ribs. I, yeah, I would need to freeze them first. I'm looking at a freeze page. Them. I just found a page that says, um, on Texas monthly, they have a buying guide for mail order barbecue. And I'm looking on here at the places where you can get it from. And La Barbecue will ship whole briskets and whole racks of beef ribs. And that's La Barbecue. La Barbecue. There's probably, right. I would put it down as my number one or number two barbecue place in, uh, well, in the world. Well, hot diggity. Hot diggity darn. Hot whatever you guys say. Hot hot dog. Yeah. Hot hot diggity dog. Um well, as long as it's not too expensive, let's just make that happen. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get on this. I'll make it happen. Yeah, I I trust you. I trust you to figure it out. You're a, you know, you're a, you're a get it done kind of individual. Oh, yeah, and it looks like they can just ship it right away. <sighs> could be here tomorrow. Well, the next day. It could be here the next day. Oh, my God. But see, now this is a question. If we're going to the trouble to ship all of this to you. Now, I don't know if they do baby back. They might only do spare ribs there. <gasps> you know what? I'm pretty sure these. I'm going to have to find something else then because you want well, the, only no, the babies. 
no, wait a minute. Explain to me. This is gonna. This reveals a lot about me. What is a spare rib? Well, a, it, it's from a different part of the pig. So it is a pig. It is a pig product, though. Yes, um, there's a St. Lou spare ribs, and then what are also known as loin backs or baby back ribs, and they come from a different place. So the the St. Lou cut is from the side of the beast and the baby back is from the back part of the rib, if that makes sense. So the St. Louis, if you imagine the pig walking around and you're looking at, you're looking at the side of the pig as it walks by, you're Uh, looking at the spare ribs. Hi guy. And then, uh, okay. And then up at the sort of top part of the pig's body, if you were, if you were to then reach down and pat the pig as it walked by with your hand, you'd sort of be touching Hi. where the baby back ribs are. Hi, little guy. Yeah. I'm going to eat you. Yeah. I see. I see. So a pig's got a lot of ribs. It's That's the one same. It's the same meat. It just depends on which half of the rib that you want. The top half, which is smaller, the bottom half, which is a bit bigger. Baby right. back ribs tend to be a little bit more tender, maybe. Uh, yep. I prefer. That's what I like about them. I prefer them, but the St. Lou ribs are a bit hardier and meatier and uh, and bigger, of course, about twice oh, the size. So you prefer the baby backs because when I said it, you were like harumph. I, I I was just surprised. I never in a million years would have. I figured knowing you, which I obviously you surprise me all the time. I would have guessed. First of all, I would have guessed that you would have wanted a big beef rib because you're like a Fred Flintstone. You want the biggest. You're a big person. If there's mm-hmm. a big rib, you want the biggest rib. What's the biggest rib? Oh, it comes from a cow? Give me that. No, that's not what I want at all. I want the delicious, sweet, tiny, soft rib <laughs> of the back of a little pig Yeah, <laughs> who is a nice pig who lived a happy life. Mm-hmm. Perhaps not a long happy life. Right. But you know, when you're a pig, you get the gist of life pretty quickly. And it's not to say that you're like ready to die. Mm-hmm. Who is <laughs> right? No, know, I don't think it's like that at all. Actually, who among us is ready to die. Yes. But also the pig's glory days are behind it pretty fast. Yeah. One time I was sleeping under a tree and <laughs> and I was out in the farm part of the world and I heard some snorts and I looked up and there were all these little baby pigs and they were coming down the hill and I, I can only guess that they were previously in a in some sort of pen let's call it a pig pen and then the farmer whoever the farmer is came along and opened the gate to the pig pen and said you guys run and play and so here come these little piglets and they come down and they flop into this giant mud puddle and start flopping around and it was a hot hot, hot, hot day. And that's why I was sleeping under this tree because it was too hot to be out uh, 
otherwise. Because you couldn't have and gone, was, you couldn't have gone home or anything. No, I was a long, long way from home. Okay. And and uh, if I left the shade of this tree, I was immediately then out in the, the unforgiving, hateful sun. And so I stayed under this tree, and you know, and naturally fell asleep. It was, it was hot. Anyway, I wake up, and here are these pigs, and I'm in the shadow of the tree. And the pigs do not see me. Mm. And I haven't moved, so they do not notice me at all. And then more pigs. And by pig, I mean piglet. They are definitely piglets. More piglets come tumbling down the hill, and they jump into the mud puddle. And I'm watching them, and... Every single one of these little piglets has a distinct personality. There are the fun ones and the serious ones and the mean ones and the, you know, the like goofy ones. I'm, I just can't believe how much individuality there is in these little piglets. Yeah. And then more piglets. Mm-mm. And then still more piglets until there are an uncountable number of piglets, all exactly the same size, mm-hmm. all slopping around in this slop hole. And then I can't contain myself anymore because I am so full of glee. And I say very softly, hey, pigs. <laughs> and one pig turns around just slightly, turns his head and sees me under the tree and he goes and all the pigs go instantly quiet and still. He sent one little warning call and they all quiet and then they all turn and look and I'm just feet away and very slowly and methodically all with their eyes on me, they slowly get out of the pool (laughs) one by one, congregate, looking quietly at me, and one by one they march back around the tree and back up the hill. A couple of them stop and give me a look and kind of, you know, Give me a little moment. And I'm talking to them all at this point. I'm Mm -hmm. like, hi, little guy. Hi, you seem fun. (laughs) Hey, what's up? You know, you could be a little nicer. Like I'm giving them each a little, little greeting, a little talking to. And uh, eventually they're all gone. And I sat under that tree and just marveled at those pigs. Like they filled me with such joy. Mm -hmm. Those little guys. And, for them, it's not going to get any better than that. That's their peak. Yeah. So why not eat them after that, right? They've lived. They've lived more than I have. <laughs> I never had that experience. 